Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, welcome back to Late Edition Crime Beat Chronicles, a Lee Enterprises podcast. I'm your host, Nat Cardona. On this podcast, you'll hear true crime stories as told by journalists from regional newspapers across the country. For the next series of episodes, we'll be diving into the 1990 cold case murder of Susan Nagersmith in Wildwood, New Jersey. You'll hear from reporters, past and present, who covered the case as it's unfolded throughout the years and the many twists and turns along the way. Before we hear from one of the original reporters on the Nagersmith case, we need to head down to the Jersey Shore more than 30 years ago. Susan Nagersmith was a 20-year-old woman from Carmel, New York. She was visiting Wildwood, New Jersey on Memorial Day weekend with some friends in 1990. She said goodbye to those friends the evening of Saturday, May 26th. And by the early hours of Sunday morning, Susan's partially clothed body was found behind a dumpster near a Wildwood restaurant. Her death was originally ruled accidental, although there were signs of a struggle. About a year after Susan was found dead, reporter Yvette Craig wrote in an April 22, 1991 Press of Atlantic City article the following. Someone screamed. Two witnesses saw a woman being dragged behind a Wildwood restaurant, and there were 26 unanswered external injuries on the partially clad body of a New York woman found dead last Memorial Day weekend. Her death has been ruled accidental. Her family believes someone got away with murder. An important thing to note about Susan's weekend trip with friends to Wildwood. This area is a destination for a debaucherous good time. Tourists flock there in the warm weather months to party hard. There's a boardwalk packed with restaurants and bars, packed with people from all over the place. Drinking heavily is a main activity. The reputation of the area for all of these things quickly comes into play in the early days of the investigation at the expense of solving Susan's case in a timely fashion. And for more on that, I introduce Yvette Craig. She was a reporter at the Press of Atlantic City in the early 1990s and closely covered Susan Nagersmith's case from day one. I have been a writer since high school, and I was boy crazy in high school, which is embarrassing to say. The way to get near them was to cover sports for the high school paper. So I did a little of that and found that the topics that some of the students were talking about in the hallways and things quickly turned my attention away from sports to something sort of more hard hitting. And so I got the bug and it stuck. <laughs> That's awesome. And so um, went to Marquette University and it, I, I actually went initially to possibly study psychology, but I took a, a course in journalism and all they did was give me an address. Everyone in the class got just an address. And we had to find out anything and everything using uh, public records uh, about this address. We could find out who lived there, how they were registered to vote, if anyone died at that location, you know, that's how many people, different families lived there. And it just, I just fell in love with it. I just loved that, just the whole idea 
of, of uh, the digging and, and um, finding the personal stories behind it. A long story short, a person that I was in school at Marquette with, he was uh, a couple years ahead of me and he was a reporter at the Press of Atlantic City and knew that they were looking for, frankly, uh, journalists of color to, to diversify the newsroom. And so told them about me and I, I came and fell in love with living at the shore. What do you do now to catch everybody up as well? I am the publisher and editor of a magazine called Emoja Magazine in Madison, uh, Wisconsin. And Emoja stands for unity in Swahili. And it is uh, a magazine des designed to talk about the positive side of, of uh, the Black community. And then I also work as the marketing and communications manager for the University of Wisconsin-Madison um, for the All of Us Research Program. It is a nationwide effort to get 1 million people to step up and become part of a, a research effort to build this, this diverse database. Bring me back to your time. Uh, we're, at, we're in press of Atlantic City on the East Coast. Um, you're an early reporter at that time. The case of Susan Nagersmith comes across your desk. Tell me what headspace are you in at that time? You're you're pretty young. Are you right out of college? You got this plopped in front of you. What What's going on? How did that all come about? I was probably a couple years out. So I guess I was still green. Um, I guess that you call a green reporter. Uh, uh, and so when it came across my desk, it was sadly, it was just another case. Sadly, it was just one that showed up that there was a body and such, and the police played it down as just an accidental death. And so as a police reporter, you report what, you know, the police tell you. And I do not believe that anything like made me think, hmm, this is unusual, right? It was Memorial Day weekend and it was common for kids to come down and party, you know? Uh, uh, and so to hear the police say that there was a, a, a young lady who drank too much and ended up dead, didn't, didn't have anything in my mind thinking, well, that's odd, you know? Um, it was sad, of course, you know, and, and not that uh, I, I don't want it to come across that that it was just another case, but that's kind of how it came across, like it was just another case. No, that's fair. I wanted to ask about that. So because the, the first article, my my producer handed me a stack of like 200, and pa 200 pages plus from uh, the, the Press of AC's uh, archives. And the first one that I saw from you was written, I think, a day after she was discovered. So it was May 30th of 1990. So, I mean, pretty fair if that's like, man, that's sad. But this is, you know, you're reading it at face value. I can I can see if that's the case. Yeah, with you being um, being a police reporter and talking to them, was that the primary calls that you were making? You know, I really don't remember that part of it. I wish I wish my brain could think back that far, and I don't re even remember it sparking the interest. You know, of of my editors. Again, homicides weren't uncommon in Atlantic City, but then what did happen were a couple of things. I had a reliable source call and say, this is a cover-up. And I said, you know, what do you mean? And I had a mentor tell me once, 
that when it comes to anything I cover, right, always follow the money. So if you're covering education, if you're covering crime, if you're covering um, city government, always follow the money. So I had that in my head, but it, it was embedded, <laughs> but it wasn't coming to the forefront, if that makes sense, right? I'm pretty sure one of the things that I did do was try to find, you know, family or even I probably even tried to find the two friends that she came with to try to get their, their comments, but wasn't having a whole lot of success right in the very beginning. And so then a source came to me and said in so many words, follow the money. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, well, what, what do you, what, what do you, what's, what do you mean? You know? And they said, think about it. It's the start of Labor Day weekend at the shore. Tourism was, is extremely important there from Memorial Day to Labor Day. That is where all those businesses rely probably, you know, 90% of their livelihood um, on the monies that they receive during that, that those summer months. And um, to, the, the city did not want a murder kicking off the season. And so I was like, oh, wow, that makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. The next thing I know, it was either the very next day or the day after the receptionist called me to the front desk and said, someone left this for you. And it was this really large manila envelope. I'll never forget it. It was just like something from, you know, one of the movies I've seen, you know, uh -huh. and I opened it up and, and it was scenes of poor Susan lying dead um, in that alley. It was, I mean, every angle possible that clearly like police photographer must have taken. So I was like, wait a minute, I, I, I'm, I kept digging and I'm looking more and more. There were all kinds of firsthand accounts in there, uh, reports that the, the police had taken. So what typically a journalist would not get because a lot of that information gets redacted by the time it gets to us. Oh, I had the raw, all everything raw you know, every, every word that anyone had said about this case. And then to boot, and then I kept going back further, and then there were autopsy pictures that I'm going to be honest with you. I separate, I didn't even look. I think I even sort of closed my eyes when I realized what it was. I had to look at a few because that's how I was able to pay attention to the fact that she had blood under her nails and, and one or two of her nails were, were ripped you know, to me, which, which signified that there was a struggle. She was fighting for her life. So there were some of those that I did see. So I, I went home and I turned my bedroom into like what you see in the movies, you see people putting things up and, and, and me just really trying to piece all this together. And there was nothing in that packet that said that she drank herself, that that was any evidence that she had drank so much that she ended 
um, dead the way she did. So what was the timing between you kind of having that light bulb of follow the money to figure out what's going on here to getting that manila envelope? It, it, was, within a, it was within a 24, 48 hour period, right as it was still hot off the presses. Were you kind of like looking around your cubicle like, can I, should I show this to someone? I mean, did you have to bring it to your editor right away? I mean, what, what was that like? Well, for me, because I was so new, I wanted to make sure what I was looking at was legit, right? Yeah, you're like, what is this? And of course, by this time, you know, this is like, you know, a journalist's dream, right? And so um, if, if I recall, I think I took it home first and looked through it, made lots of notes and went in wide-eyed to my city editor and said, we got a really good story here. That's it for now. Keep an ear out for the next episode in the Susan Nagersmith case. If you like what we do here at Late Edition Crime Beat Chronicles, please be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. See you soon. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.